WATT presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. Well, good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on 95.9 WATD, the South Shores radio station. And uh, uh, we have a, a bunch of things planned for today. But first off, I'm not sure if you uh, were watching some of the Daytona 500 stuff, but Dale Quarterly, uh, who was in the ARCA race uh, yesterday, uh, he ended up placing 10th place. He was up in fourth, third or fourth place with about four laps to go. To go. He got tapped from behind, spun around, and uh, his sponsors should be real happy because he got a fair amount of TV coverage because he slid across the uh, the field that says Daytona, so that sort of that Daytona window. So they, they caught his car sliding sideways across that and then back out in the field again, and he ended up in 10th place, which is, which is pretty good considering, uh, considering getting knocked out like that with just a few, few laps to go. Pretty That's amazing. Usually so. when I streak across the field, I get arrested. Do you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, we have Carl on the line. Oh, good. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, you know what, what we just learned about uh, our producer, our executive producer, Jesse Wilkins, uh, streaking across some field makes me a little bit nervous, but we'll get to that a little bit later in the program. I actually, but, did, I actually did get arrested for going on, to, not streaking, but <laughs> I accidentally ended up uh, on the field of Gillette Stadium. Got permanently banned. Got a letter of disinvite from the crafts. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, wow. I've been back like fifteen times because I'm a fugitive. But yeah. <laughs> well, a little bit more we get to know about you. Yeah. Uh, pop- popular podcast host, fugitive, and now yeah. and now fugitive from justice. <laughs> well, hopefully Kyle Brower isn't a fugitive from justice. He's actually the uh, executive analyst for iccars.com. And some good news for used car buyers: prices have started to fall a bit. Kyle, good morning, and welcome back to the Car Doctor program. Hey, great being on with you. And and I'm guessing you've never been arrested for any infractions like uh, like Jesse has, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm guess- no, I, no. Think, I think I'm a fugitive from injustice, but not yeah. justice. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, t- uh, give us give, give us a little bit of rundown first off. Uh, just to remind people about Icy Cars, Icy Cars is a great place to buy or sell a car, but also there's a ton of research you can find on the website, right? Yeah, that's really become kind of our stock and trade. I mean, we we certainly have all the car listings that a lot of other sites have from dealerships across the country and even private individuals. So you're searching for your next car. You, you have a price in mind. You have a location. You have a limited number of miles. You don't want to buy a car with more than any certain amount of miles, color, anything. You can filter on all these things to figure out where your car is and how much it's going to cost you. But we also have created a real you know, backlog of studies that just cover every topic. And so whether you're figuring out how to charge an electric car or what's going on with car prices in the last six months or which cars have dropped the most in value or held their value the best in the last three months, those kind of things are all over the site and can really help you not just figure out which car you should buy next, but how you should buy it, what you should pay for it, if you can wait a few months, which cars might be a better deal, those kind of things. And that wait a few months, it seems like I've been telling people to wait a few months for like two and a half years now, both in in new and used car prices. But we're finally starting to see a little bit of a change. I noticed um, 
you know, some some pretty big numbers, especially uh, from the electric car maker Tesla, uh, some uh, pretty substantial drops in some of their used car prices. Yeah, you know, we we were still 7.8% above the previous year's car pricing in September. So as recently as September, we were still, cars in September 22 were 7.8% on average higher than they were in September of 21. That fell to 3.6% in October. Okay, still higher, but not as much. Mm-hmm. Down 2.1% in November. Prices in November of 22 were 2.1% on average for a used car lower than they were uh, the previous November and December, they were down another. They were down three percent from the January or from December of twenty-one. So, an undeniable, undeniable trend. I mean, that's over a ten percent shift from seven point eight percent to the positive to negative three percent uh, from September to de- December. And then, yeah, we saw them fall another, on average, one point five percent from like early January to late January. And we looked at that time specifically because Tesla announced all those price cuts in early January, trying to get in under the limits for the new uh, government incentives for electric cars. So the average car fell in January, 1.5% used car. Another just kind of downward trend at about the same rate we were seeing. But then the average electric car fell 1.8% and the average Tesla fell 4.8% in a matter of like six weeks. John, or like four weeks, you know, early January to late January, because he was reducing the price of his new cars, and, and you know, new car and used car prices are totally tied together. If you can pay less for a new car, you wouldn't, you'd buy a new one instead of used. So used car prices have to come down that much further and stay viable. And I got to think as uh, Elon lowered the price, I say Elon like we're neighbors, um, you know, as he lowered the price on the on the Teslas, he had to really tick off some people that just bought them a few months prior. There was a lot of, yes, uh, uh, noise and rumblings across the uh, industry and across the Internet uh, for people who happened to buy a car, you know, 48 hours before those price cuts came in and, uh, you know, could have saved thousands and thousands of dollars by simply waiting anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of weeks. And uh, I don't know about you, but when people talk to me about, electric cars and as great as they are uh, they're they're still i mean you know been around for you know the better part of a hundred years in one form or another and when people say to me should should i buy an electric car should i lease an electric car and i'm not a big proponent of leasing but um leasing to me with the variables especially when you go to trade an electric car in um you, you're a little unsure what it's going to be worth. Leasing kind of makes sense with electric cars. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I think leasing under normal circumstances uh, is is a good option for a car that you're confident you're not going to probably want to keep at the end of the lease, and you're very unsure, like you say, John, of mm. what its value could be. Uh, and it's interesting you note this because electric vehicles have been swinging all over the place, too. Uh, you know, the cars that dropped the most in value in the first one to two years after they were sold were EVs for years. And one of the reasons Mm. is because of that $7,500 federal tax credit that every EV gets everywhere. And then you can get another, you know, $800, $1,500, $2,500 in the state of California from a state incentive. So that's $10,000 off. But see, that's not taken into account in terms of residual value measurement. In other words, if an EV sells for $30,000, but you get $10,000 in credits off, you only pay as a new car buyer Twenty, the equivalent of twenty thousand dollars for the car. But when you go to sell that car in three years, if it's worth, let's just say optimistically fifteen thousand dollars, 
Well, you only lost really 5000 but residual has to be calculated from MSRP. So it lost from 30000 to 15000 in those mm. first three years because there was that 10000 has to be counted. So the, the, the new car buyer did okay in terms of saving money, but the car's overall value looks terrible because it dropped so much. And that was true mm. for most of the EV's history. Now, in the last like year plus, because of the gas price spike we all saw, starting almost exactly a year ago in February of last year, um, EVs have held their value far better, and it's been bizarre to see something like the Nissan Leaf, which has a history of terrible resale value because it's increasingly older and not really mm. viable. It's not really competitive in today's world because Nissan's done very little to update it. Uh, that became one of the best uh, cars for holding its value in like the last year, simply because it was an EV. So it's been very hard to predict what's going on with EV prices over the last uh, two years. Yeah, it, it really has, and it's really sort of, and you mentioned Nissan in the uh, list of uh, used car prices uh, falling, uh, the Nissan Kicks uh, fell almost 12%. Did that fall because it's just a horrible car? <laughs> so I think the cars that fell were falling because they're not, they don't have anything unique enough about them to keep them solid, right? Like the cars that, that you know, did the best were cars like Porsche 911s and Cadillac Escalades, Mercedes-Benz S-Classes. These are cars that, A, don't have huge production numbers, and, B, they're bought by people who are wealthy enough that they don't care about the last four to six months of kind of economic turmoil, the higher interest rates, the inflationary concerns that are causing people to, to second-guess big purchases. You know, those kind of cars, people are like, I don't care about my 911. But cars that people are actually price-sensitive about that would be like, I don't know if I should buy another car right now, Nissan Kicks, you know, uh, Toyota RAV4, uh, Ford, Ford Econosport. These are cars that aren't super great cars, like you just said, John, in, in the first place necessarily, but then also more so they're high-volume cars. And so there's no, there's no sense that i got to buy now or this car became available that it run out and jump, jump on it. It's like, now these cars are all over the place, and they're, they sell the high-volume used car buyers, and a lot of that value, volume fell, fell off in the last six months because of economic concerns and issues. And, and the the Nissan Kicks isn't isn't a terrible car, but it's um it's a car that I think you know somebody somebody I know bought one bought one for their son and their son loves it thinks it's a great car you know every time he has to take it if his car breaks down he has to take it to work he's never happy but um but I think there are certain cars that have a certain amount of appeal and I was a little surprised you know number three on the list is the Ford Mustang which fell about eleven and a half percent um. Uh, and it was it was a car that uh, I guess I always thought there's always going to be a Mustang. They're always going to hold their value. Well, again, an interesting uh, kind of whipsaw effect on on that car specifically. You know, when the the pandemic started, we saw coupes shoot through the roof in terms of value. They were coupes and trucks were the first two segments that shot up in like June and July of 2020 as we were coming out of lockdowns from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And the thinking was not really, I shouldn't say we were coming out of lockdowns, we were coming out of complete lockdowns, but you still could hardly go to do anything. You couldn't go to restaurants, couldn't go to movies. So you couldn't do a lot except drive in your car. And so people were buying trucks because I think that makes people feel more confident and happy when the world's looking like it might be going sideways. But people were buying coupes because they were like, what's the one thing I can still do? I can still get in whatever car I own and drive around and enjoy myself. And if I'm going to be using my car to have fun, I'm going to get the most fun car I have. And that's why Mustangs and Camaros and Challengers and then things like uh, uh, 
European cars and stuff like that, like SLs and stuff like that, and 911s, they shot up because that was the only way you could have fun during the height of the pandemic time. Well, now, again, it's not as big a deal. You can kind of go back and have fun without only depending on your car now. And again, Mustangs are one of the higher volume uh, coupes that are out there, and they're more price sensitive than like a 911. People buy 911s, they've got more money. People who buy Mustangs are more, you know, normal people with normal levels of wealth. And those are the people who are getting concerned about economics right now. So there's there's the Mustang lip sawing from one of the highest value cars and shooting above MSRP at the height of the pandemic, you know, at the beginning, to, to now falling because a lot of those forces are gone to make it as popular. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely a good point. And looking at, you know, looking at sort of the the new and used car market, and if you, like you said, one is tied to the other, do you think there'll be a time that we're back to buying new cars at under sticker? So you can kind of do that now for certain cars. Like I, the way I would describe the situation now versus, say, a year and a half ago, John, is a year and a half ago, if it had four wheels and it ran well, new or used, there was value to it because there weren't enough cars available and there were plenty of buyers who needed or wanted a car. What has happened in the last year is, to some extent, the supply chain issue that restricted new car production has been starting to get addressed. It is nowhere near completely solved. Ask anyone who has a car breakdown and they need a part. But it's it's better than it was a year and a half ago, certainly on new car production. So that somewhat is helping to, to backfill the the supply side that's been short since the pandemic started. But more so, the bigger effect on the supply-demand side of, the, of everything that decides pricing is the demand. And the demand has dropped for all the reasons I just mentioned about interest rates and economic concerns. So we're but – what, but the difference is it's not universal. As I just said, you know, 911s, Escalades, S-classes, they're still way up in value. But Kicks, Mustangs, you know, GMC, Acadia, Ford Sports, they're down. And Toyota Camrys, too. So what this means now is that if you want to buy a car, new or used, and you do your research, you will start to find pockets of good deals where you couldn't find any pockets a year and a half ago. Now you can find a pocket. Oh, oh look, this car over here, this particular make model, especially in this city, I'm searching nationwide, they're selling them for under MSRP. Look at that. Uh, super, Not super common, but it's out there now. So, yes, you, we will get back there eventually, and we're there a little bit right now. You just got to do your research to find where those deals are. Yeah, I, I think it really is. I mean, I have uh, one of the uh, uh, newspapers I write for, uh, the guy who owns it seems to go car shopping every other weekend, and he, you know, sends me sends me notes about, you know, I went to go look at this, and I went to go look at this. I was shocked when I went to, you know, this dealership, and there was still $5,000 over a sticker on a car, and I said, yeah, it's still, it's still a real issue with supply and demand, and, you know, it is, you know, is the day, you know, will there be that um, ability to negotiate or, you know, or is, you know, MSRP the, the new normal kind of thing, which at least, like you said, there are some pockets where there is some ability to do that. You know, everybody's favorite car, the, the Kia Telluride, uh, was selling yes. for, I think, what, 10000 over MSRP at one point, right? Yes, exactly. And there's, and that's exactly the point is that, that cars like that, cars that had and, and still have a strong backlog of demand, just because they're really desirable cars, they're not going to come down in price. They're not going to negotiate today any better than you could, you know, really a year ago on, on them in most circumstances. But cars that were being propped up because demand was so high, uh, you know, that, like, for instance, John Renault, for years, 
small economy sedans weren't worth much money. You know, they were just the boring cars. You know, if it, if it wasn't an SUV and or it wasn't a, a premium vehicle, it didn't have a lot of demand. And small economy sedans are neither. They're not premium and they're not SUVs. So they were down in value and didn't hold their value particularly well for years and years and like the last half of the 20 teens. Um, when the gas prices shot up last year, those things, Kia Rios and stuff were going up in value like crazy. And Nissan Versus and all were going up in value because that was like the cheapest. Those were the cheapest cars you could buy, and they got good gas mileage. And those two forces had all the people who had been holding out or not wanting to buy a new car. It was like, look, I have to get a new car. It doesn't seem like they're ever going to come down in price. But I'm a, I'm a practical buyer. I just need a transportation device. I don't care what it is. So they all started running to the – then I need good gas mileage because gas prices are high. So they started running to the economy stands and shot those up. Uh, but – now, you know, those cars aren't necessarily as desirable. The smallest Ford SUV, the Echo Sport, is on this list of cars that have dropped in value. So, you know, people are just not buying like they used to, and cars that weren't already desirable, like a Telluride, are starting to reflect that, and they're coming down in price. Well, I think that's absolutely good, you know, that we are st- starting to see some of that uh, variable pricing in in vehicles now and, and more realistic pricing. Is there, you know, based on, you know, I guess, how many clicks through the website and so forth. Is there still real pent-up demand? You know, maybe people aren't 100% shopping, but is there still a pent-up demand? Are people kind of on the verge? And you kind of pointed out the kind of regular wage earner, middle-class wage earner, you know, is mostly concerned, is more concerned about the economy than someone who's who's really rich. But is there is there a pent-up demand of one of these days the doors are going to open and everybody's going to want to go out and buy a new car? Yes, there is. There's an undeniable pent-up demand because we had too restricted of, of sales for too many years. So there's plenty of people out there who are who have been and increasingly are you know backlogging, waiting on the sidelines. There's just more and more people waiting on the sidelines, and that's what's going to be interesting to see, right, is that we're starting to see prices drop. You know there's much people on the sidelines waiting to buy that have not been able to buy the car they wanted or buy a new car, either a new, new car or a new-to-them used car for the past two-plus years. So, But then we got interest rates making payments higher, and it's harder to buy a car when you buy it on, on a loan, which most people do, and you have a higher payment because interest rates are higher. So all these forces are at play, right? And it's like, okay, well, will prices drop enough that even with the higher interest rates, a lot of this pent-up demand and these people on the sidelines will finally jump or will – the increasing concerns of the economic circumstances, and we you know, hear about these layoffs from all these people on these tech companies and all that stuff. You know, will that will that counteract the lowering prices? You know, that's that's what's bringing the prices down. Those forces are already bringing prices down, and and so, you know, when when if ever will we hit what you just said, like this new paradigm where there's plenty of demand and the prices are low enough, and the concerns of economic issues are low enough that people just run out and start buying cars again. Um, or will it just be this constant like trickle and these forces will constantly play for years? It's hard to say. You know, that's where all these things that none of us really know for sure what's going to happen come in. Uh, but I could certainly see a point where maybe interest rates come back down, hopefully, in, you know, not in the next five years, but in the next, you know, two years or one year. And all this pent up demand finally gets filled and people start buying cars because they don't have to pay so much on a monthly uh, loan that they're using. It's kind of funny in your, uh, in my sort of, I guess, Sunday foggy mind. Um, as you're as you're mentioning all these things, I I kind of envision a juggler, and you know, juggling two balls, it was pretty easy. All of a sudden, you threw in, you know, the you know, world economy, 
supply and demand, and the more balls, all of a sudden it's harder and harder for the juggler, and then at some point it's either going to work or it isn't, and if it doesn't work, it's going to collapse. And like you said, we don't really know. We don't really know where it's quite going to go right now. There's a lot of forces at play. There really are, you know. I mean, you know, you had a lot of people laid off in the past two months since the start of the year, and most of them were relatively higher earners. I think you had a lot of people who were pretty – being pretty well paid at these tech companies and all, and they're going to all have severance. So that's all coming in still. So they're all, you know, like now today, they're like, well, I'm still okay. Do they find new jobs and get and stay okay and still great in six, eight months? Or does that start to really, you know, come back on the economy because they're having trouble getting replacing that, that, that income and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, so many factors at play that it's, you know, anyone who says they know what's going to happen with the car market is uh, is lying to you. But you can certainly look at certain factors and try to say, well, this could happen, this could happen. Here's kind of a general sense of what might happen. Yeah, it really is. And, and Carl, I, you know, before I let you go, I have one totally unrelated question, only because I know you're, um, you're, you're uh, a writer, an editor, a former publisher. You you know this, this business is um, chat... GTP going to start writing car reviews? <laughs> uh, Chat GTP will st- we'll start writing car reviews for low quality websites. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know it's just it's just not good writing. It's it's, it's does, does it know how to assemble nouns and verbs and adjectives so that they don't uh, make so that they make sense in a sentence? Absolutely. Does it know how to give you uh, analysis, meaningful analysis uh, versus a lot of fluff that's just basically sounds like a re- reworded Wikipedia uh, entry and stuff that's, uh, that's just extra hyped about, you know, everything's great and fabulous because it loves to write in this everything's great and fabulous tone. So, yeah, if you're shopping for a car and all you want to read is kind of pointless, great and fabulous reviews about the car you're buying, which some people might because they want to be confident they're buying the right car, uh, uh, you know, that the, these chat bots are, are perfect for you. But if you want to actually know this car's got these strengths and these weaknesses and here's some other options you might consider instead, depending on what you really prioritize, uh, that thing's very far from doing it now, and I don't know how long it'll take for it to ever get close to that. So, so, so go to iccars.com is the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, if you want to read words, the, read, read the robot writing. If you want to read analysis that me, that's meaningful to uh, help you make decisions, don't read uh, robot writing. There you go. Hey, Carl, thank you for taking a little time out of your Sunday morning and joining us again on the Car Doctor program. And it's great being out with you, John Paul. You guys have a great show. All right. Thanks. Take care. We need to take a break and pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. And uh, I I asked uh, Chat uh, to to write something for me. And I said, said, write a catchy open for the Car Doctor radio program. Rev up your engines and tune in. It's time for the Car Doctor. Whether you're cruising down the highway or stuck in traffic, our team of Experts, I guess that's me and Jesse, are here to diagnose your automotive ailments and prescribe the perfect fix. So buckle up and join us as we take a spin through the world of cars and all things auto-related. Let's hit the road. It's time for the car doctor. I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know, this is uh, the next step away from Skynet or something. I'm not sh- I'm not sure. but it's better than uh, we can do. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, you know, uh, like Kyle said, you know, if you want to read, you know, nouns and grammar and good punctuation look at that but if you want opinion maybe not but uh but we'll, we'll have to wait and see why don't we take that break my name is john paul this is the car doctor program our phone number is 781-837-4900 781-837-4900 we'll be right back 
the James Library and Center for the Arts in Norwell invites you to a special event this winter vacation. On Thursday, February 23rd, come see the James like you've never seen it before as the library is transformed into a mini-golf course. Put around the James on greens and holes that will wind through the stacks, around the art gallery, and through the concert hall. Everything is provided, including clubs, balls, scorecards, and fun. This is a perfect winter activity to let loose and support the James. Tickets are $15 per person or $45 for a foursome. Register online at jameslibrary.org. Tea times begin at 11 a.m. and the event runs until 2. You will be contacted to set your tea time after registration. Enjoy a mini golf outing at the James Library located at 24 West Street in Norwell. Keep your car in tip-top shape at Joseph's Garage. Have your oil changed, tires checked, get an inspection sticker, or just gas at Joseph's Garage right down the street from the James in Norwell. Joseph's Garage now offers golf pay at their pumps. No one wants to be left out in the cold. With AAA, you won't be. Their experienced technicians will be there fast to help with your dead battery, unexpected breakdown, frozen locks, or any car issue that comes with winter weather. They're trained to fix most problems on the spot, often without the need for a tow. And you're covered in any car you're driving or riding in, 24-7. Join AAA today at aaa.com join. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the car doctor program on 95.9 WATD. Our phone number is 781-837-4900. If you have a question about your car, give us a call and we'll be happy to answer it. I want to talk about the car that got me around a little bit, and that was the Kia Nero. The Kia Nero is a small front-wheel drive SUV, wagon, or CUV, depending on your terminology, CUV, compact utility vehicle. The second-generation Nero comes in three different configurations, hybrid gas-electric, so no plug, fully electric with a range of 253 miles, and the ability to recharge from 10 to 80% using level 3 charging in about 45 minutes. And the subject of our road test, a PHEV, or plug-in, battery electric hybrid so this one has a plug well technically it doesn't uh you need to go someplace with a plug so you can plug it in uh the nero phev comes in two trim levels the ex and our test which was in the sx touring edition uh the nero phev pairs the 1.6 liter gasoline engine with a 62 kilowatt electric motor for a very usable uh total system output of about 180 horsepower so it feels pretty quick 195 foot pounds of torque um if you have level two charging at home or use a commercial level two charging station uh you can sort of refill the battery in about three hours if you're charging using conventional you know 110 volt house current you know thing you plug an extension cord into outside the charge time is closer to seven hours when fully charged the all-electric range is about 33 miles now, the average commuting miles in the U.S. is about 41 miles. So if you have 33 miles of all-electric range, and this is an average, so um, for Jesse to go from his house to the radio station, Jesse, what's that, maybe 10 miles? Uh, it takes me about 22 minutes to get from my house okay. to the radio station. Okay. So. Well, we'll, we'll, call it, we'll call it 15 miles. Sure. Because if I call it any longer than that, it ruins my whole story here. So uh, so if he if he went round trip to the radio station and back, 
uh, he could just he could do that if he did that every day. He'd never have to buy gasoline, so that's pretty good. Uh, and never have to buy gasoline if I just streak all the way here. So well, that's true. But yeah, it'll take a little do. longer. It would. It would. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, then once you uh, exhaust the battery, the conventional gas electric hybrid, uh, it has a ten gallon tank, and it gets about forty eight miles per gallon. So you have a range of about. 500, 500 miles. So you're getting good gas mileage as a conventional hybrid. All electric, you're going 33 miles. So you're not spending a lot on gas when you have when you have one of these uh, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. And, you know, in the kind of world of this or that, should I go gas, should I go electric? Plug-in hybrid for a lot of people, I think, is really the way to go. You get, you get the feeling of what it's like to own an electric car. You Granted, need to charge up more often, but you don't have Rangers to worry about that anxiety, which a lot of people still do. Uh, on the road, the overall performance is pretty good. Merging with fast-moving traffic in electric or hybrid mode is uh, pretty stress-free. This uses a six-speed dual-clutch automatic transmission, uh, no continually variable transmission, so it actually feels like it's shifting gears, which I kind of like. Um, the ride's a little bit on the firm side. Uh, I, maybe it gets a little bit... You know, I drove over a road that was a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, roads where I am are pretty good, but there was one that was not so good. And you could feel a little bit of a shake, uh, a little bit of a... I, I wouldn't call it a shake. But, you know, let's just call it... It gets a little jittery sometimes if you hit a whole bunch of series of bumps. But overall, overall good. The steering is uh, light at low speeds, stiffens up at highway speeds. A little bit artificial feeling, you know, a little bit too video game-ish maybe. Uh, safety is addressed with a full complement of uh, standard advanced safety features, a whole bunch of stuff. Forward collision warning with pedestrian detection, uh, lane keeping assist, uh, lane departure system, blind spot warning, Parallel exit. So if you're you're pulling out of a, a parallel parking space, uh, you know if somebody's somebody's there. Uh, cross traffic alert. So if you're backing out of a parking space, lots and lots of technology in this car. There's also an optional highway driving assist, which kind of gives you a little bit of uh, advanced driver assistance. Uh, so not quite. It doesn't quite drive itself. And uh, as good as these systems are. They don't take the place of a fully engaged driver. I think, in fact, uh, with Tesla, I think they just came out and said, well, we never really said the cars could drive themselves. Uh, the interior of the Nero is comfortable. It's, uh, at the same time, it can be a little bit frustrating. I found the front seats comfortable, reasonably supportive. Many of the controls are touchscreen-based, which I find too distracting. I'm going to say this forever until we get more knobs and buttons in cars. The rear seat's best suited to two adults. There is uh, three seat belts, but... Um, but overall, the back seat felt like it felt like they spent all the money in the front seat and didn't spend the money in the back seat. Uh, just felt like a little bit, um, I don't know, just a little something off. With uh, it just didn't seem quite the same quality in the back as it did in the front. Could have just been me. The cargo behind cargo area behind the rear seats is 19 cubic feet, with the rear seats folded, nearly 55 cubic feet. It makes a, a pretty practical small car. Uh, the Kia Niro. PHEV with its 33 miles of electric range, 500 miles of total range is a fine vehicle for someone looking looking to move to electric but still has a concern about electric vehicle um, range anxiety. So if you don't have a lot of charging stations. So whether I'm here or back at the other house, I don't have electric charging near me. The nearest charging station to where I am now is about 
eight or ten miles away, and it's a public lot, and I think there's only two charging stations. Uh, at the other house, at the cottage, um, there's nothing really near me for 20 miles or so. Um, I would have to go to the uh, to the mall in Hyannis. Uh, there is a couple of uh, charging stations at hotels, but they're for hotel guests only. So it kind of rules out that. So, uh, so uh, a fully electric car if I had to commute a long distance, wouldn't be real practical where I live, uh, but a plug-in electric vehicle really does. So anyway, that's the Kia Nero plug-in electric vehicle. And uh, if you have uh, questions about new car buying or something like that, you can also give us a call at 781-837-4900, and we can talk to you about that. Also, it's a good time to think about kind of what's in the mailbox this week. Uh, People sent me some emails. One of them I just got this morning through uh, through Rob Hackler. It came in through the uh, through the website, and uh, uh, someone who listens to the program they have a 2013 Lexus RX 350. Uh, so nice SUV. It doesn't have a lot of miles on it uh, for a ten-year-old car. It's only got about eighty thousand miles on it, and the head gaskets are leaking coolant. And their question is: Should I replace them or buy another car? First off, not a real. Ca- I mean, these these engines, which is the same. This is the same three-point-five liter engine that's in a variety of Toyota vehicles. It can be in the it can be in the Lexus um, RX. It can be in the uh, Lexus. Uh, 300 or 330, kind of use the same engine design. It can be in an Avalon. It can be in the uh, the Toyota minivan. Uh, it, again, it's a very popular engine, uh, and not super common to see the head gaskets leaking. And how they leak on this is they leak externally, so they don't leak. Like a lot of times when head gaskets leak, they'll tend to leak into the combustion chamber and you'll get maybe a lack of heat inside the car. You'll get white smoke coming out the tailpipe. You might get overheating, but you'll get a loss of coolant. On this particular car, it's the head gaskets, when they leak, tend to leak externally, which is better if you have a choice of something leaking it's it's not going to leak into the combustion chamber it's not going to turn the it's not going to turn the uh, uh the oil into a milkshake and look terrible and not lubricate the engine the way it should um with a leak like this you could probably drive the car for a fair fair amount of time uh by just making sure the coolant stays full but you are also going to be smelling a little bit of coolant as it leaks onto the hot engine so um you you'll know it's still leaking so the question is should i fix it or buy another car well in this particular car it is not easy to replace the head gaskets you need to uh pretty much remove the engine and it's going to take about 25 hours to take the engine apart, replace the head gaskets, and put it all back together. And if you're going to do all that, you probably want to even go a little bit further. This engine has variable valve timing, so there's some solenoids in there that can get kind of funny with age. Maybe you even want to replace the timing chain. there's a there's a timing cover oil seal leak that sometimes leaks on these, which is a little bit more common than the head gasket issue. So maybe you want to do that. And that's all assuming that 
the cylinder heads are in good shape, that there's no issues with the cylinder heads, which, again, because of the type of leak this is, isn't quite as common, but still you want to send the heads out and make sure they're in good shape. So by the time you're done with the average labor rate of $150 an hour, you're going to be spending probably close to $5,000 to fix this car. And this car holds its value pretty well. The value of this car is somewhere between $10,000 and $20,000, depending on conditions. So a $20,000 car, low mileage, perfect condition, no problems, no check engine lights, no airbag lights, no brake lights on, um, no head gasket problems, no oil leaks, none of those kind of things. Everything's perfect. Uh, $10,000 car, probably closer to this one because it has problems. So the idea of putting half the value into the car, I would have to give that a lot of thought. Now, what leads me to think maybe to do it would be because of the low mileage. But what I would want to do is bring it to a good, trusted repair shop where they can give the car a really good overall evaluation and take it for a good long road test. Make sure the transmission is shifting the way it should. Make sure the air conditioner is work, working the way it should. Make sure all the electronics are working. You want to kind of go through that car and make sure everything's perfect in the car before you go and spend nearly half the value of the car. Now, once the car is fixed, it's going to go up in value. So now, all of a sudden, it's not a $10,000 car anymore. It's a car that's been repaired. It's in really good shape. It has low mileage, so maybe the value is closer to fifteen or $18,000. So it becomes a better value at that point, but you, hit, you need to decide. The other part of it is it's a 10-year-old car. There's 10-year-old technology in it, and maybe you want a car like that has things like pedestrian detection and cross-traffic alert and automatic cruise control and a bunch of smarter technology features in the car, which would certainly, um, you know, might make you a safer driver. So there's a, there's a, there's a lot of things to look at when, you, when you're thinking about trying to put a big repair in like this. Uh, um, right up the street from here, there was somebody that had a, uh, a 2002 Ford Thunderbird for sale. 91,000 miles on it, and one of my neighbors ended up buying it, and, you know, and just, he, he looked at it, and he said, oh, you know, pretty, pretty color, uh, it's convertible, you know, I, it's, it's a really good deal, it's cheap, uh, I think I'm going to buy it, and here's where sometimes people get a little bit confused as they look the car over. Um, it looked good. It was absolutely looked like a good car. A bunch of little scratches on it, which I think reflected in the price. Uh, is it a good value? Yeah, I think because it was it was cheap enough. But I just kind of went inside. The, I just looked a little bit closer. And again, if I was looking for an inexpensive car, that would have been a car I would have looked at because it, on the surface, and even uh, even just uh, using the car, it looked like it looked like a good deal. But the AC didn't work. And if you've been a listener to this program before, if you've heard the expression, it just needs a recharge when someone's looking at a used car, it never just needs a recharge. Someone has already tried to recharge it. It didn't work or it didn't work for very long. And uh, it doesn't just need a recharge.
but this AC didn't click on. Uh, I would su- I would suspect there was no there was no uh, refrigerant left in the system. Headlights were pretty cloudy looking, uh, blasted from the sand and sun, and uh, you know it was a it was a car that was a uh, it was not a southern car. Uh, so a little bit of rust underneath, but overall pretty good. And these older T-Birds, these, uh, they, they made these for about three years, I guess, uh, 99 to 2002, 2000 to 2003, something like that. And they were interesting cars because they were based on the Lincoln Continental platform, which was also the Jaguar X platform because Ford owned Jaguar at the time. Um, uh, V6 engine plenty of power, um, solid transmission in them, uh, solid differential rear end, uh, good solid car. Uh, this car didn't have any notable rust. Uh, it was going to need a top. Uh, the top did work. It functioned. It went up and down just the way it was supposed to, but it had it had 10 years worth of wear on it, so it was going to need a top. Top's probably going to be a few thousand dollars, probably closer to three by the time you're done. Uh, so it can get, it can get expensive. Uh, but to me, it was a car that you would just get in it and drive it, uh, not try to make it perfect. It had a little bit too many scratches on it, uh, but you just kind of drive it and enjoy it. And, and, you know, when it wears out, it wears out. That's all there is. 90,000 miles on it. It's got plenty of engine and transmission life left in it. Uh, it's the other things that are going to bother you. The windows seem to go up and down okay. Uh, the power seats seem to work okay. The seats were leather seats, fair amount of cracking. But no holes in them, and I think with a little bit of uh, leather treatment, you could probably get the car looking pretty good on the inside. It had a set of seat covers over it, which had been on there for a while, and they 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 looked okay. So you know, overall, overall, I think uh, you know you just need to, you need to look with a little bit clearer vision sometimes when you go to when you go to buy a used car, and the same thing when you're thinking about maybe is it time to fix a car or go out and buy a new one. Our phone number again, 781-837-4900. If you want to give us a call, phone lines are open right now. Uh, uh, pretty quiet on the phones right now. Um, someone wrote to me and said, I was pleased to see you think hydrogen will power electric motors in the future. I've had several discussions with various people on social media about hydrogen as a power source. While I agree with you, many others bring up counterpoints of low energy density of hydrogen, the difficulty in storing and pumping it without leaking, and the problems of all electric the problems of all the electric vehicles running around as little Hindenburgs, and there are complaints of the cost of generating hydrogen. Could you give us a deeper understanding on your thoughts about hydrogen going forward as a principal power source for autos and how some of those arguments will be overcome? Well, I think when you first look at this, um, we know how explosive gasoline is, and the idea of driving around with a tank of gasoline, you know, 10, 15, 20 gallons of gasoline, very explosive, you know, could that be dangerous? Oh, sure it could. Um, how about those 10,000-gallon tanker trucks we see? You know, everybody's seen, everybody's seen a, a, you know, a, a movie where a tanker truck blows up and the explosion that takes place. So there's a, you know, there's a lot to, of that to sort of think about. Um, but we just got used to that. So that is that is one of the things. So we we need to we need to always think about that. Um, if you can if you can run a car on hydrogen, and I'm not sure hydrogen will actually be a source for cars. It might be more for 
tractor trailers and things like that. But the idea of um, using hydrogen to make electricity seems better than using windmills to make electricity. But that that could just be me. Uh, but I, the idea of hydrogen, but the problem is um, to make a gallon of gasoline. Say a gallon of gasoline is three fifty a gallon. It probably costs twenty cents to make that gallon of gasoline. The rest of it's transportation and marketing, markup, and all that stuff. To make the gallon equivalent of hydrogen is much closer to that three dollars a gallon range, uh, because we haven't found a good way to make it yet. The best way to make hydrogen, and it's made out of you know made out of water, so you separate the hydrogen molecule from the oxygen molecule, and you get pure hydrogen. Um, the best way to make it is w- using a nuclear reactor, and you might not want a nuclear reactor in your backyard. So, uh, but I, I do have a, I've driven a hydrogen car. I thought it was phenomenal. Uh, like every electric car, plenty of torque, plenty of power, plenty of range, and quick fill up. Took minutes to fill up the hydrogen tank. So pretty neat that way. Our phone number again seven eight one eight three seven forty nine hundred. Let's talk to Arthur from Hanson. Arthur, good morning. How are you? I'm a good. All right, so uh, I got a friend who has a 2016 GMC pickup truck. Yeah. And right after that cold day we had, that minus 10 degree temperature, it wouldn't start. So he thought it was the battery, and you know, he called me up. We went to jump it, and I, I immediately knew it wasn't the battery. The solenoids clicking, but it wouldn't start. But uh, then it, it, a day later, it started. I, I immediately thought it was the starter, but it intermittently doesn't start. Friend of his son thought that it was the battery in the uh, the keychain, the key, the key. Oh, yeah. So he changed that for him. Uh, but I don't know what's happening now. But but you could always hear the solenoid click, but it just wouldn't engage or wouldn't stop. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't have anything to do with the the battery in the, the bat- keychain. No, I yeah. didn't think so. Yeah. Now it's. Entirely possible, you know. It, you, you know, this is a what seven-year-old truck, technically, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, seven-year-old battery in it. Brand, no, no, new battery. No, um, new, oh, okay, new battery in it. Okay. Um, then what I would be looking at is things like, uh, you know, is it is it a bad connection somewhere between the battery and the starter? Is there corrosion somewhere? Is there something going on that affected it? Uh, you know, could it be the starter? Probably not. Uh, starters more act up hot than they do cold usually. So you'll have a you'll have a starter that you know you'll have a car that you've driven and it got hot. You get back in it and it doesn't want to start. That might be a bad starter. Cold cold weather. Cold weather is typically more battery connection sort of problems. So I would start by just making sure all the battery connections are good and clean. Uh, yep. GM GM si- side mount batteries terminals. Uh, they look like they're clean, but a lot of times they're not because that bolt that runs through that side mount terminal that uh, those can get pretty pretty green and uh, and uh, corroded looking underneath. So I'd want to make sure that's all nice and clean. Best way to do that is check everything with a, a voltmeter, look for voltage drop. Uh, but those is it is it a um, is it the small V8 or is it V6 or is it the bigger 6.2 liter? Do you know? I'm not sure, but the batteries are. Uh, the poster on top, everything's connected properly, everything's clean. Yeah. So now it would have nothing to do with neutral safety switch. 
Would it? No, no, because uh, usually, usually with a neutral safety switch, if it even has a neutral safety switch, uh, because would, a lot of times that's that's actually built right into the transmission as part of the transmission range sensor switch. Um, if it even has one, and I don't think I've ever seen one go bad on one of those. Um, and you hope it doesn't, because if you have to put a range switch in in those transmissions, I think it's like a four hour job. So that isn't uh, that isn't where where I'd be checking. I I think, you know, first off, I would want to, even though that's a new battery in that, I would still want to make sure that I tested the battery and made sure it was made sure it was okay. Um, you know, the other the other one that's it's fairly common on these is you know that does have a security um security light that comes on again it usually won't click though but you'll turn the key on and you'll see that little picture of a key that pops up and sometimes you'll get uh you'll get a no crank kind of thing with that um and that sometimes can happen uh, you know if there's uh you know if the if the key if the key isn't in, is it a push button start or, or or a key key it's a key. Okay, so um, so sometimes you know what can happen is you'll run into some problems where the the um, the trim uh, the uh, where you put the key in doesn't read correctly. But again, you'll get a warning light on the dash. You'll get that you'll get that uh, uh, key warning light that comes up on the dash that tells you tells you there's something wrong. And you'll um, you'll also get you know you may also get a um, a check engine light that comes on. The other one that's really weird with this that will kill the battery or almost kill the battery, sometimes for some reason, when you shut these trucks off, the fan blower motor stays on. And it stays on and it stays on and it runs it runs down the battery. And it's um just one of those it's one of those weird things and um you need to you need to check everything and what what in some of those were there was a um, uh, a wiring part of the wiring harness near the right up near the windshield and up there there's a wire that gets crimped or something and it can um, it it, it kind of goes up and around it goes around the frame rail and comes up and around but it that wire can get to be a problem and it, and it keeps the fan on and it keeps the fan on and all of a sudden it kills kills or almost kills the battery so when when it didn't start did you guys try to jump it or did you just uh yeah no we tried to jump it and he called triple a too and it yeah. wasn't the battery yeah okay okay good okay so so when i um, put my back when i when i try to jump it generally you would hear a draw off right. the car. yep mm-hmm. uh, no there was no draw so i immediately knew it wasn't the battery Okay, good. Okay, so the battery was fully charged, which then you have to go to the next step, which you need to check from the battery connections to the starter and find out what's going on there. Could it be a, could it be a bad starter that just decided to act up on that really cold day? Yeah, it could have been. Um, and the only way you're gonna the only way you're ever gonna be able to figure that out is uh, even when you go to test the battery. Um, you know, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna test it. I mean, when you go to test the starter, it's only gonna tell you how good it is. You know, when when you're testing it, so it doesn't even really give you a a good thing. I would, you know, I'm still leaning towards. Check all the cable. You know, yeah, check the cable, check the starter cable. You know, uh, you know, is it? You know, there's there's, uh, you know, the starter, and of course the, uh, 
you know, starter relay, which sits right on top of the starter. But, um, you know, I'm I'm thinking more some sort of cable problem, you know, at at how many miles on this truck, you know? Oh, it's got low mileage. Uh, Okay. He doesn't drive a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so I would, you know, yeah, okay, so I would, you know, the, like I said, the first thing I would want to be looking at is some sort of a, a wiring problem, and I would want to check, uh, I would want to check, you know, right from that starter cable, battery starter cable, make sure everything looks okay, make sure everything's good and clean, Yeah, you know, I'm suspicious there's something in the air, then that's where the problem is. All right, well, thank you very much. Okay, all right, take care, Arthur, bye-bye. Have a good day. You too. 781-837-4900 is our phone number if you want to give us a call. Why don't we take another break, pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. We will be back in just about a minute. No one wants to be left out in the cold. With AAA, you won't be. Their experienced technicians will be there fast to help with your dead battery, unexpected breakdown, frozen locks, or any car issue that comes with winter weather. They're trained to fix most problems on the spot, often without the need for a tow. And you're covered in any car you're driving or riding in 24-7. Join AAA today at aaa.com join. Looking to put some color in your life this winter? Hi, I'm Sheldon Stewart of Stewart Painting, and I'm here to tell you what we can do to your home this winter. Let our team of professional interior painters freshen up the rooms in your house. We can paint your walls, ceilings, and trim. But don't stop there. We have a kitchen cabinet division that can make your cabinets look brand new. And if you're worried about picking colors, we offer in-house color consulting at no additional cost. And if you're dreading the process, we make that simple too. Just call either of our Hyannis or Hingham offices, meet with someone from our sales team, and receive a free estimate within 24 hours. After accepting, you'll be emailed a confirmation packet with a start date, and a crew leader will be assigned to your project from start to finish. Or, to get a virtual quote, go to StuartPaint.com. And remember, Stuart Painting. Expect the best. South Shore Hockey fans, please join us every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. for the Ted Donato Show, Ted Talks Hockey, on 95.9 WATD. Sponsored by the Caskin Flagon. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. Maybe we should have that chatbot, you know, do a new open for us. It's surprisingly good. It really, it really, have you played with it? I have. We're actually on a Tuesday for our broadcast of the show instead of doing like a regular episode because we needed some time off to... uh, produce this tv show that we're working on yep uh we are doing the entire episode just stories that are created off of uh chat gpt so we're gonna have like the viewers they'll they'll give us ideas and we'll spin a wheel and just come up with these random stories they, they actually come up with some good stories it's pretty uh pretty terrifying actually it, it is it is and i i saw and, and not that this is a tech show because it's not but i you know if if you said something like uh uh give me the inside scoop on you know jesse wilkins it would it would go uh you know they can't do that but you can also have it i saw a video where and i i'm going to believe it was true because you know everything on the internet's true um it said you know answer the question in 
um, I don't follow the rules sort of thing. So it, um, you know, it, it, it answered some questions and it sounded really scary in the way it answered them. Um, it is pretty creepy. I had, um, yeah. I was like, let me just see what this thing comes up with if I'm too lazy to do my research on a certain subject I was covering. Right. So I have been like, all right, write me a story about uh, there's this house in Italy where all these like ghost faces started showing up on the floor of a kitchen of um, – no, it wasn't Italy. It was Spain. Either way. Yeah. And it, it wrote it. And it. I think uh, the guest that you had on earlier, he was right about uh, – it was Carl, right? He, yep. um, he had brought up that it, it's kind of just it, – it seems like it just rewords Wikipedia. Yeah, and that was pretty much what it did. But then I was like, "Now change it to first person," and all of a sudden it had this like horrifyingly <laughs> uh, creepy story. So it's, yeah, it's pretty I, cool. It, yeah, it it sort of, um, you know, I guess one of the most popular questions that gets asked is like, you know, how to make a bomb, and it says, you know, I can't do that. You know, I can't tell you that. But if you tell it to do it in sort of a alter ego, um, it can, I guess. It's hard, so, to, hard to stop the software. Um, we have Paul on the line if you want to take a real quick call. Real 30, quick? Yeah. 30 seconds for this call. Okay. Uh, Paul, real quick, what's up? Hey, yeah, John, how you doing? Uh, I know you and I spoke a couple of months ago um, about the uh, chevrons on the back of uh, fire vehicles and emergency vehicles. It follows an NFPA guideline that came out in 2009. And with the auto, the auto drive cars that have, have driven into both the apparatus and other highway vehicles that have these chevrons in the back in low light and low visibility circumstances, uh, whether or not there's a connection between that and the auto drive. Do you know if AAA was ever going to take a peek at that? Or, and, um, I'm sending something off to DNFP to take a look at it. Yeah, I mean, right right now we are doing some uh, we are doing some uh, self driving testing. I know that our our engineering team down at our national office is doing some of that. Uh, specifically, if it's um, looking at uh, fire apparatus or emergency apparatus, I would guess it is only because it reflects with you know tow trucks by the side of the road, and we're concerned about that too. So I I think we are. I think it's just a timeout because it takes a lot of time and money to do the testing and do it correctly. Hey, we got to get going, but thanks, Paul. I see you, John. Take care. That music means we have run out of time for today, so until next time, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car, and if you do see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road, take your car off of auto drive and drive it and uh, and move over and drive safely. Remember-